0: Book of Luke chapter 2. I'm excited about this morning's message. So this morning we're going to be talking about a older gentleman who had a big white beard. His name starts with S and he's the center of Christmas. Santa. No, I'm just kidding, right? Although I'm sure some probably would enjoy a sermon on Santa. This morning we're going to be looking at Simeon, Raise your hand if you are familiar with Simeon, if you ever heard of Simeon before. Okay, so some of us, right? So Simeon is perhaps the most overlooked um, person when it comes to the Christmas story. You know, we all know baby Jesus. We know Mary. We know Joseph. We know the angels, the wise men. You know, we even know the animals, right? But if the Christmas story was a movie, Simeon's name would like be at the end in like the end credits where it goes from the big letters to the small letters. Simeon would probably be somewhere between donkey number one and cow number one, you know, but while Simeon is often overlooked and forgotten about his, his story is, is one that is of vital importance to the Christmas story. So let, let's look at Luke chapter two, we're going to be looking at verses 25 to 35. 25 to 35. For those of you that have been following along also, as we look at Simeon's song, the, 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 the name for Simeon's song is the Nuke Dimittis. All right. So for Zachariah's song, it was the Benedictus. Mary's song is the Magnificat, and Simeon's song is the Nuke Dimittis. All right. So Luke chapter 2, verse 25, the Bible says, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which are spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken against, yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Let us pray, and then we'll dive into the text. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, again, we just thank you for this day and this opportunity we have to come together to worship with one another, to glorify you, Lord, to study your word. God, I pray that as we look at this text this morning, that you would challenge hearts, that you would help us. Lord, I pray that you would hide me behind the cross, that I would be small and Jesus would be big. I pray if there's people here this morning that do not know you as Savior, that today they would put their full faith and trust in you alone, Lord. Lord, that through the preaching of the message that you would draw us to salvation and you would draw us to obedience and just a renewed love and hope and emphasis, Lord, just on how good you've been to us, Lord. We love you and thank you for all you do in Christ's name. Amen. As I read through this text, I'm, I'm reminded of the excitement that I had as a child around Christmas, right? I mean, I know as adults, we anticipate Christmas. As adults, we look forward to Christmas. But, but usually, our anticipation of Christmas is vastly different than that of when we were children, right? I mean, as adults, we look forward to getting together with family that we haven't seen for a long time, we look forward to the food that we get to eat. Uh, we look forward to giving gifts and just the excitement of seeing people that you bought gifts for, open them up and seeing their reactions. But as a kid, Christmas was a whole different ballgame. As a kid, you weren't thinking about when grandma was going to come over. As a kid, you weren't thinking about the ham and the macaroni as a kid. You weren't thinking about the gifts that you were gonna to give to other people. As a kid, the thing you were most worried about was what was gonna be under the tree for you? Right. And I, I, I see the way some of y'all are looking at me. So so maybe y'all are a little more saved and sanctified than I was as a child, but but that's what I was most worried about is on Christmas morning, what is there for me? What kind of gift am I gonna have? I remember when I was probably I was probably nine or ten years old in the third or fourth grade, and I had been asking for this, this bike for Christmas. So I know that I'm a little bit younger, but when, when I was a kid, we rode our bikes to school, right, to elementary school. So everybody would ride their bikes. Everybody would walk. I don't, I don't know they do that as much anymore, um, you know, and quite frankly, I don't even know if I would want my son. Riding a bike to school in today's society, right? But, but, but we rode our bikes to school. And so there was this bike that came out. and It wasn't no, no regular bike, right? So, so it was a regular bike in the means that it had pedals, but it also looked like a dirt bike. So it had the saddle, it had the flares, and then it had this battery on it where you could hit the switch and your pedal bike could then turn into this electric bike. And man, I'm telling you, I wanted this bike bad. I wanted to be able to pull up and stun on my friends, you know, to ride to school. You know, they're over there pedaling their little legs away. And here I am just cruising on my electric bike. I mean, all season long, you know, I'm begging. I'm, I'm begging for it. I'm asking for this bike. And I remember as a kid, that time moved very slowly. All right. So as a kid, you know, it Seemed like it took forever to get to Christmas. The, the two months of the Christmas season, November and December, seemed like it took two whole years. I mean, I remember going to the store, right? We're going to the store during the Christmas season, and I'd go straight to the bike section, and I'd go to the bike section. I'm looking for that bike that I wanted, and the agony as I'm looking at this bike, I'm just hoping, I'm wishing, I'm like, man, I hope that one day this bike can be mine, that one day I can sit on the saddle of this bike. And after two agonizing, painstaking months. Christmas finally came, and all this anticipation that I had built up, you know, all this excitement and this hope of this gift that was coming finally came to fruit as I walked out to the living room, and my bike was there, all right? I was satisfied. I was full. I was was excited because the bike that I had so long for and anticipated was finally mine, and as we step into our text this morning, what we find is an older gentleman, who is longing for and who is patiently waiting on and anticipating the greatest gift that there could ever be, the promised Messiah. As we look at our text this morning, what I want us to see is the messianic fulfillment and the messianic future of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 25 with me. Verse 25 says in, Behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout. He was righteous and he was devoted to the ways and the words of God. And Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And these first few, first few verses of this Passage, Luke kind of gives us a prescription of Simeon. You see, but Luke doesn't give us a physical prescription. He doesn't tell us what Simeon looked like, but rather he gets more to the the more important aspects of Simeon, and that is his character. See, Simeon was a faithful man, he was righteous, he was devout, he was a man who hoped in God's word and clung to the promises of God. Luke says that Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Throughout the Old Testament God had promised consolation for Israel. You see that word consolation, think of of being consoled, right? It's kind of this this comfort that God had promised that would come to Israel. This 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 this, this consoling this this renewed hope that one day would come to this nation that had been in and out of bondage and slavery. In Isaiah chapter 40, Isaiah is speaking about the the, the coming Messiah. And Isaiah says, comfort, yes, comfort my people, says your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. If you look in your Bible, you'll notice that the word consolation is capitalized. And the reason that it is capitalized because the consolation of Israel is not speaking to a thing. It's not saying that one day there will be a comfort that is brought to Israel, that there will be this this consoling ministry that will come to Israel. There will be this renewed hope for Israel. but, But rather, more so, what it is speaking of is a person. The consolation of Israel is a messianic title. It refers to the promised Messiah, to the the, the consolation of Israel, the one who will be their comfort, the one who will be their renewed hope, the one who will console them. Simeon knew of God's promise to Abraham and to David. He knew the promise of Isaiah that God would send this Messiah to perform this ministry of consolation for his people. So Simeon is waiting patiently and eagerly for the day when God's promises will be fulfilled, anticipating God's promised redeemer, anticipating God's promised comforter for his people. But what we find is that Simeon is not just holding on to Israel's promise from God, He's not just holding on to this nationalistic promise that God gave to Abraham and as was taught through the prophets, as we looked at last week. But rather, there is there is this personal promise from God in Simeon's own life that was revealed to him through the Holy Spirit that he would not die until he saw the Lord's Christ, the Lord's Christ. That word Christ is the Greek equivalent of messiah. All right, so, so in case you were wondering, Jesus Christ is not a first and last name. So, Jesus, so it's, you know, it wasn't Mary Christ and Joseph Christ, and then here you have Jesus Christ. But rather, Christ translates to anointed one, the same way that Messiah in the Hebrew translates to anointed one. So when you say Jesus Christ, it's Jesus, the anointed one. So see me, have been promised by the Holy Spirit that he would not die until he sees God's anointed one. You know, as we look at the beginning of this passage, we find this holy union of the Spirit of God and the Word of God. Simeon was taught by the Word of God. Listen, Simeon knew the promise of Isaiah. Simeon knew the promise of Abraham and David, even as you go to, as we continue on and we see Simeon's song that he sings, just like the song of Zacharias and the song of Mary, what you find is that he, he's looking back, he refers back on Old Testament scripture. So Simeon was taught by, he was informed by God's word, but at the same time, he was empowered by the spirit of God. You know, as you look at the person and the character of Simeon, you can't help but escape just this, this pivotal role of the Holy Spirit in his life. I mean, in these first three verses, in verse 25, verse 26, and verse 27, three times he was filled by the Holy Spirit. He was led by the Holy Spirit in verse 26, and then in verse 27, he is obedient to the Holy Spirits. You know, you look at Simeon's life, and what we see is that Simeon was word-fed and spirit-led. You know, this is the same kind of matrimony we have in our own lives that we are taught and we are informed by God's Word, but at the same time, we don't forget about the power of the Holy Spirit, that we don't shun and we don't look down the Holy Spirit, but we allow the Holy Spirit in accordance with God's Word to kind of lead us and to teach us and to guide us in our own lives. Because of the work and the Spirit working together, Simeon has this great anticipation, this future hope of the soon to come, Messiah. Simeon literally lived daily with the thought that the Messiah could come today. I mean, he woke up in the morning, the Messiah could come today. He woke up the next morning, the Messiah could come today. You know, I can't help but think that knowing that the arrival of his Savior was so close, that knowing that Messiah could come any day, helped to, help to inform and help to, help to strengthen Simeon's walk with God. I mean, Luke says that he was a man that was just. He was a man that was devout. He was a righteous man. He was a godly man. I can imagine that, like Zacharias and Elizabeth, he was a man that walked in all of the commandments and the statutes of the Lord, a man that was blameless. You know, but even as I said on this truth, this week, thinking about how the imminent arrival of the Messiah would have informed and affected Simeon's hearts and motivation, I am reminded that today in the here and now, we should be living with the same hope that the Messiah could come today. (laughs) The Messiah could come today being reminded and informed by God's word that just as God promised the arrival of Christ, that that Christ as he ascended into the heavens promised that he would return. You know, as we celebrate the Christmas season, you know, this Advent, we call it, it's Advent is about the arrival. We celebrate the arrival of Jesus. I want to help us to not be so focused on the baby Jesus that we forget what he went on to do, and what he is going to do in the future. Listen, the first Advent, Jesus coming as a baby to save his people, to then set our minds forward to the second Advent, to the day when Jesus comes back as conquering king to claim his people. And like Simeon, I believe that knowing that the second Advent is imminent, that it could come at any time, that we should be spurred, that we should be motivated to be just and devout. verse 27, verse 27 says, so he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him, according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God. We don't know if Simeon regularly visited the temple. I mean, we can make assumptions that if God promised him that he would see the Messiah, he would probably think, well, the Messiah will probably show up at the temple. So, so, so he probably was a frequent attender of the temple and going to the temple looking for this promised baby. But whether or not this was a frequent occasion or this was a one-off occurrence, what we do know in this specific instance is that the Holy Spirit prompted him and Simeon obeyed says the, he came by the Spirit. You know, here we find Simeon under the leading of the Holy Spirit heading into the temple. And at the same time, if you can imagine this camera that is focused on Simeon's life, right? So at the same time, the camera then pans. And what we see is that as Simeon is heading to the temple, prompted by the Holy Spirit, that Mary and Joseph are also headed to the temple. So here Mary and Joseph are coming from Bethlehem and they're ascending up to the temple for this fateful meeting. You know, as we look at this text, I'm not exactly sure how. I don't exactly know the circumstances. I don't know what was said or what transpired between verse 27 and verse 28. But what we do know is one way or another, Simeon ends up with baby Jesus in his arms. Somehow Simeon ends up holding the baby Jesus. And as Simeon has Jesus in his hands, and as he looks into the face of Christ, he knows without a shadow of a doubt that this is the constellation of Israel, that this is the promised Messiah, the promised Redeemer, the one who would come and make all things right that he had been waiting on for so long. And standing at the temple with the baby Jesus in his arms, Simeon begins to look towards the heaven and sing a praise to God. He begins to sing his song, turning his anticipation of the Messiah into this now present adoration of the Messiah. Look at verse 29. Verse 29 says, Lord, now you are letting your, your servant depart in peace according to your word. You kept your promise. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. So look back at verse 29. I want you to notice the very first thing that Simeon says. Simeon begins this song of praise by saying, now I can depart in peace. This is why we assume that he was probably older, right? He had been waiting, going, This baby, and now he's to the point he's seen the baby, and he's like, "I can depart in peace." You know, and while we know that Simeon is speaking of his departure as death, I find it gripping that Simeon doesn't say, "Now I can die in peace," but rather he says, "I can depart in peace," because for those who trust in God, death is not final. Listen, I just want to take a moment in. Remind you that for God's people, we don't have to be afraid of death because death not only frees us from the burdens of this life, but death leads us to the blessings of the next. Since I can depart in peace, you know, as Paul so eloquently said, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Why can Simeon depart in peace? my eyes have seen your salvation. Can I tell you this morning that Jesus is not just a means of salvation? Jesus is not just a worker of our salvation. He is not just a way to our salvation, but rather Jesus is our salvation. Listen, salvation is not something that you do. Salvation is someone that you know. Listen, Simeon was a righteous and devout man. Simeon was a godly, he was a holy man, yet Simeon knew that his own righteousness was worthless in the sight of God. God help us from thinking that we can supplement our salvation. As if I am made right with God and saved by Jesus and my good works. As if I am made right and Saved by Jesus and my church attendance, Jesus and my giving, Jesus and my obedience, Jesus and whatever it may be that you are depending on and that you are leaning on in order to make you right with God. You know, can I say it this way? When God must declare whether we are righteous or holy in his heavenly courtroom. The judicial basis of God's decision is not based on what you do, but rather it is based on what Christ has already done on your behalf. John Christosom comments that God gave us Christ so that we should never need anything else for our salvation. Listen, church, Jesus is our salvation. Simeon affirms and adores who Jesus is is. He is the way, the truth, and the life. But then as you continue in verse 31 and 32, what you find is that he then affirms and adores what Jesus does. And the person and work of the Messiah, Simeon affirms that Jesus is not just the Savior of Israel, but that Jesus is the Savior of the whole world. Look at verse 31, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. So I'm reminded of 1 John chapter two, where John says that he himself, speaking of Christ, is the propitiation for our sins. That word propitiation is a word that, that really, as Christians, you should know what that means is that Jesus was a satisfactory payment to the Father. Listen, because of your sin, there is a debt that you owe. Because of your sin, there is a price that you cannot pay. But as Christ stood on the, um, on the cross, as Christ was, was killed for our iniquities, that he became our propitiation. Listen, if we stood on the cross, then as we stood there, God would have said insufficient funds. But as Christ stood on the cross, our sins were paid in full. He is the propitiation, that satisfactory payment, the one that is able to satisfy the wrath of God. But listen, not for ours, only, but also for the whole world. Is there anybody in here who is glad that we have a God that does not discriminate? A God that is not judged based on color, that is not condemned based on creed, who does not consider us based on our race. A God whose love extends to all people and whose love covers all sins. Somebody, God, is willing to save you no matter your past sins, no matter your past regrets, no matter your past faults. The one who offers grace to murderers like Paul. Thieves like the one on the cross. Deniers like Peter. Talking about the one who offers grace to doubters like Thomas. Adulterers like David. Listen, he is a light to the Gentiles. A light to the Gentiles. Listen, the past darkness of your life is never too much for the light of Christ. The gospel tells us that the sins of our past do not eliminate hope for the future. Messiah salvation was more than a fulfillment of Israel's nationalistic hopes, but rather the Messiah was a light dispelling darkness and revealing God and his purpose in his ways to all people, to the Jew and to the Gentile alike. And earlier we sang, oh, come, let us adore him. You know, why do we come and adore him? Because he brings peace, because he dispels darkness, because he saves all. You see, Simeon's adoration of the Messiah Listen, in this whole time that Simeon is adoring and affirming Christ as the Messiah, this whole time that he is pouring out his heart to God, Mary and Joseph are just sitting back there and watching in wonder. Verse 33 says that Mary and Joseph marveled at the things that were spoken to them. You know, I can only imagine that over the last nine months of their life, that Mary and Joseph thought themselves to be crazy. I can only imagine just the uncertainty and the questions that were going through their hearts and mind. And upon hearing Simeon, this man who had no idea who Jesus was, had no idea what the angel proclaimed to Mary, he had no idea what the angel proclaimed to Joseph. Upon hearing him proclaim the glorious works of their baby, they were astonished. But as Simeon then continues, their marvel turns to sorrow. This rather joyous, this exciting, this uplifting song of praise takes a sharp and dark turn as we see in verses 34 and 35 that we go from Simeon's praise to Simeon's prophecy. Listen to verses 34 and 35, we go from the present adoration of the Messiah to the future agony of the Messiah. Look at verse 34. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary's mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, they sear a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Simeon stands there with this baby, in his arms, and after singing this beautiful song of praise about all the glorious things Jesus would do, he then turns his attention to Mary, and he says, your baby will be hated and opposed by many. I can imagine at this moment, Mary and Joseph look at each other, (laughs) look at Simeon, like, give me my baby back. Right, like like everybody wants to hear words of affirmation over their child, but nobody wants to hear that their child is going to be despised and that their child is going to be denied. Simeon says Jesus will bring sharp division between people, that he's going to be the cause of falling for many and the cause of rising for others. Isaiah prophesied hundreds of years before Christ even came that the Messiah would be accepted and the Messiah would also be rejected that not everyone would accept the message of the Messiah, that there would be this steep division, there would be this rising and this falling that would be caused by his arrival. In Isaiah 8, uh, verse 14 and 15, Isaiah writes, and he, speaking of the Messiah, and he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense, a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. And I don't think there's any question about it that Jesus Christ, from his birth to present day, is simultaneously the most loved person and the most hated person to ever walk the planet Earth. Listen, if you don't believe me, just say his name in public discourse. Some will... Affirm, some will join in your love for Christ, but most will scorn. Most will look down on you. Most will mock the name of Jesus. You know, it's, it's okay to go on TV and they say, I thank God for this. It's okay to pray to God. It's okay to bring up God. But the moment that you go up there and you say, I thank my Lord Jesus Christ, it's a problem. The moment you go up and you exclaim the name of Christ and you get shut down and shut out. And then Simon, or Simeon says, not only will your son cause great division, but he says your son will be greatly opposed. Listen, throughout Jesus' earthly life, there was constant opposition by the religious leaders. I mean, at Jesus' birth, Herod sought him out to kill him. As Jesus taught in the synagogue in Nazareth, his hometown, Jesus was ran out of the temple, and he was pushed to the edge of a cliff, and the Bible says that they literally tried to throw Jesus over the cliff to kill him. Listen, as Jesus challenged the traditions of the Pharisees, the Pharisees plotted with the Herodians how to kill Jesus. As Jesus was brought before Pilate, we see that that, that the chief scribes accused Jesus of many things. Jesus was greatly opposed. Listen, but the climax of Jesus's opposition happens in ultimately ends with Christ hanging on a tree. The perfect, sinless Son of God, unjustly tried and unfairly convicted for sins he did not commit. This is why Simeon says to Mary, yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also. Listen, here at the beginning of Jesus' earthly life, Jesus is about six, seven weeks old, we already see the foreshadowing of the end. Simeon is telling Mary that she will have to go through the toughest thing that a parent could ever go through, the loss of a child. You know, John 19, verse 25 says, Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother. Simeon is telling Mary that when that day came, that she would Stand in the shadow of the cross. That she would have to watch her innocent baby boy be beaten, be mocked, be scorned. That she would have to watch him be pierced with nails. She would have to watch him be crowned with thorns. That she would have to watch a spear be plunged into his side. She would have to watch him be spit upon, be taunted, be abused to the point of death itself. And in that moment, Mary will feel as if a dagger has been driven through her very own heart. But make note that as this great division and this great opposition become hallmarks of Christ's life, the true intentions of people's hearts will be revealed. You know, as Christ comes onto the scene, what you find is that those who appear to be close to God were the ones that were the farthest from Him, while at the same time those who appeared to be who appeared to be far from God were drawn. Towards him, we see this this steep division, this steep revealing of hearts in scripture through the Pharisees and the scribes and the Jewish leaders and those of the sinners and the tax collectors and the harlots, and those that were cast out, those that were sinful in the sight of God were the ones that were drawn to the message of Jesus, and those that thought that they were pious, thought they were religious were the ones that rejected our Savior. You know, we're reminded all throughout scripture that it's not external piety. It's not outward holiness that God is looking for, but rather that it is a repentant heart that is accepting of God's grace. Jesus is the consolation of Israel. Listen, Jesus is the promised Messiah. He's the Savior of the world, the light and the darkness. He was the one who was opposed and crucified. Listen, but Christ's death was no tragedy. Christ's death was no accident, and Christ's death was not fine. As I close, I want to bring to mind the words of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians. and 2 Corinthians, Apostle Paul writes to the church there, he says, For the love of Christ compels us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he who died for all, that those who live might, not, might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. In other words, Jesus Christ died so that we could live. Listen, Jesus Christ died the death that we deserve so that we could have the life that he had earned so that we sinners would be able to be reconciled with God, that we'd be able to come back into that relationship, that fellowship that we were created for. Simeon said Jesus would cause many to fall. Listen, but he also says that Jesus will call many to rise, that many would find forgiveness for their sins, that many would find hope for their future, that many would find that reconciliation with God, that many would find a home in heaven. Listen, this is the good news of the gospel. But what I want to tell you this morning is that the gospel demands a decision. You know, can I suggest to you that our very own response to the person and work of Christ reveals the true intentions of our hearts also. You know, there's two things you can do. You can accept it or you can reject it. There's no in between. Listen, my final plea this morning is if you do not leave here this morning with turmoil for you to not leave here this morning with doubt and unrest in your heart, but rather to believe in the consolation of Israel, to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ so that you too can say like Simeon, I can now depart in peace. Every head bowed and eyes closed. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Listen, if you are here this morning and you don't know for sure that heaven is your home. I want to invite you to make a decision this morning. Listen, Jesus already did the hard work. Jesus suffered. Jesus bled. Jesus died on the cross for your sins so that you could be forgiven. And all that you have to do is accept it. Listen, if you're here this morning, you say, I don't know Christ as Savior. I don't know that I can depart in peace with heads bowed and eyes closed. I just want you to slip your hand up. Just slip your hand up. I'm not going to embarrass you, but rather I want to pray with you and have somebody show you how you can know for sure. You say, I don't know. That's you. Just slip your hand up. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the promises of peace that you have given us. We thank you, Lord, that you have sent your son to be born, to die, to raise again. And we thank you that one day he is coming back, Lord, to make all things right. God, I pray that we would live in light of the arrival of Christ and also in light of his imminent return, Lord. I pray that our hearts would be turned back to you, Lord, that we would never lose sight of the glory of the gospel. or that during this Christmas season, we would remember the true reason for the season, Lord, that you would help us this morning, God, I pray. We love you. Thank you for all you do. In Christ's name, amen. Now is the time just for us to respond to the message. You can respond in your seat and pray in your